I was thinking more of like the like the eighties with like a sort of synthy like dun, 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 like into the the theme song that was written by fucking Tears for Fears or something like mm. just for the movie. Mm. Simpler times. Yeah. So many, so many, so many damn books. Welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And this is a film adaptation episode because we just saw... Murder on the Orient Express. A film by and starring... Kenneth Kenneth Branagh's mustache. (laughs) Yeah, really. It should have gotten second billing. Uh, Who played his mustache? He did an excellent (laughs) job. I feel like that's going to be like a joke on an episode of Rick and Morty. It'll be... um, No, what it'll be is... uh, um, What's his face? The guy who played Golem. He's the one who... (laughs) Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis played the mustache, and he did an excellent job the whole time. (laughs) Um, but we rarely do this. We we go see movies sometimes, you and I. But, We've uh, talked about trying to do this for a long, long time, too. Well, the thing is, is book to film is a fascinating thing. It's an interesting challenge um, for any any book to film adaptation. But it makes sense for, for a mystery film. Yeah, I uh, think it... The, Agatha Christie lends herself to being ad- adapted. Absolutely. I mean, there are all... There are those... Those stories that get adapted again and again, mm. the Holmes stories, the Poirot stories, it's because they are endlessly adaptable. The pleasure right. is not necessarily in finding out how it happened. It's watching the detective find out how it happened. Exactly. So, so let's take everybody through our entire experience. Let's, let's make the episode mirror the movie going experience so right beforehand what it you created a drink i did. i went to the right aid around the corner and uh-huh. bought some candy so yes, that's what we'll, that's how we'll do the thing that's okay. the what you buy it's, it's movie candy oh this actually to me, isn't a successful cocktail uh, for for consuming at home necessarily, mm. but it's a high proof uh, <laughs> cocktail that if you make it to steal away in your bag um, and put it in a, a three or four ounce uh, glass container, as I did for you, <laughs> yeah, um, it's a, it's a good one. And this is just whiskey, um, aperol, and then I I purchased uh, Pim's. Uh, blackberry and elderflower uh, varietal. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, I've always known that uh, Pims makes more than the one flavor. Uh, the Pim- Pims, when you when you see, I think it's like number three or number four or something when you when you buy mm-hmm. it or in the the one that gets pulled over. Yeah, the standard. Yeah, uh, and they do a different one every season actually in in England. Really? Yeah. Um, and so this blackberry elderflower, I assume it's winter. That sounds pretty wintry. Um, if Redwall taught me anything. Right, exactly. It, I think it only taught us to believe in homeopathy. And I don't know <laughs> if that was the best. <laughs> Thank you, Redwall, <laughs> for my belief in tinctures. Ooh, tinctures. Yeah. Yeah. And poultices. Poultices. Uh-huh. That and elderflower wine. Uh-huh. Well, 
what doesn't get solved with elderflower? And the um, truth. I've been um, obsessed with the idea of equal parts cocktails mm. uh, uh, with, you know, Negroni is mm-hmm. a beautiful uh, one part, one part, one part cocktail. And so this I tried to do one part, one part, one part. Uh, I, it's not my favorite drink, but it gets the job done in a movie theater. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you, um, you bought candy. I did. I was disappointed to discover that the Rite Aid uh, had been relatively ransacked, and so there were no Bunch of Crunch, which is no my Bunch of Crunch. But you did find a Butterfinger Bites. Yeah, Butterfinger Bites. Uh, and a mini Airhead. Yeah, and Sweet Tarts. Yes. You sort of hit. I mean, the Sweet Tarts and the Airheads do double duty a little bit. They do. I mean, there's Different a crunch. Textures, there's a chew, and there's a chocolate, which is all. Yeah. Those are the three food groups. Yeah. The three candy the, food the three groups. candy food groups, or just the three food groups, depending <laughs> on who you are and what you believe I'm, as I'm your personal diet. Very quickly trying to go through, and I'm like, are there are there other candies? And I'm like, no, they all kind of they, they all shake in. down into those three buckets. If there was a murder, what is going on? Then there was a murderer. The murderer is with us, and every one of you is a suspect. And who are you? My name is Hercule Poirot, and I'm probably the greatest detective in the world. Murder on the Orient Express. I've read the novel. I have also read Very the novel. recently, actually, oh, really? for myself. Yeah. I, I recently went down a rabbit hole of Agatha Christie. Um, I started with, and then there were none. Yep. Uh, also known as many other titles, <laughs> which I will not say. Many other significantly more racist titles. Yeah. Um, and then and then this was the second one. I mean, the, those two are sort of held up as the best that she ever did. Yeah. Because they're so outside of what she usually does. Yeah, and there is something to be said for the sort of, you you can't figure it out. Here's the thing about Murder on the Orient Express, especially a movie like this, which is based on a 70-year-old novel. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know how it ends if you've read it. Right. As we both have. Um, And so you're just wanting to see how it plays out on a screen. Um, But if you don't, if you go into this with nothing, Mm -hmm. is, is that better? Do you, is, I mean, there's gotta be a, a huge amount of people. I would, I don't know the percentage, but I I would like to know of who who went in this blank. Yeah, I well the people sitting behind us certainly did. did I kept they hearing them coming surprised? and I was like, "Oh damn." Really? And they were like, "Oh, of course." And I was like, "Hey, okay, cool." Um the uh, the couple next to me was a movie buff couple oh, who great. uh kept talking about who everybody was in other movies. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, They've all the, the IMDb couple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess the thing that I'll say is that this book, and then there were none. These classic stories have mm. be like the model has been used again and again. Sure, or I mean, adapted and and you've told me before that you 
wrote something yourself. I did. I wrote a play my sophomore year of high school that we produced that was kind of a ripoff of Clue and like, well, Clue, I guess, is a ripoff of Agatha Christie. But the like, right, the moment where you at some point you suspect everyone. everybody and you're supposed to that's everybody right that's all of these things and um, ultimately the detective is the one who's like but i know the answer yeah I, I i love a murder is announced for agatha christie because it brings everybody in and yeah it, and like that way everybody who showed up to the announced murder is a suspect <laughs> i think that's pretty great yeah In a murder mystery adaptation, you're expecting a certain thing. But in in a book adaptation, yeah. any book adaptation, of course, we know for a murder apti- murder adaptation, especially when when we've read, we assume we know the ending. Right. Um, what are you hoping for in a book adaptation? Like, what do we what What do you go in hoping for when you when you go to see a movie based on a book? For me, I think it's one of two things. Mm. One is either the manifestation of a world that I have seen inside my head, mm-hmm. um, and those are the moments where I'm not I'm not expecting it to look like it does in my head mm-hmm. because inevitably it's coming out of somebody else's. But I am looking to see the world made manifest. Okay. The flip side of it is to see somebody put a twist on the tail. And that that's the more complicated thing. And like uh, you could never do that with an Agatha Christie. People walk into that and the, the plots are so tightly constructed that you can tweak little things, but ultimately the trap's going to spring shut in the same way. Mm-hmm. Whereas an adaptation like the adaptation of It, you, you they really could stretch. Mm-hmm. Or in a bad way, adaptation of The Dark Tower, where they stretched in all of the wrong possible ways. You saw that? No. <laughs> all right <laughs> um fair uh, I, d- I wanted I, to very badly and then i i was so excited about that and then the reviews really killed my excitement i yeah, do believe too. i'll i'll sit down with that i mean it's like 90 minutes so i will watch it on a plane at some point i i hope that that adaptation gets made into the miniseries that it was we were promised me uh, too but i wonder if it will um i i feel like for me, I agree with you in the in the imagination writ large on a screen type thing. Um, I don't. I'm not looking for anything new necessarily. I'm, yeah. I'm looking for uh, cool actors. Like, did they did they get the right thing? And does it make me? I guess I'm sort of looking to get lost in the story again. Like the best adaptations sure. make me forget that I'm watching an adaptation. And it's just its own thing. It's rare. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's really rare when that happens. Um, I it feel like it's hard. didn't work for me in that way. I, I was definitely thinking about the book. Agreed. Uh, the whole time. I could. I was distracted by the mustache. <laughs> and by the fact that I, I grew up with the David Suchet uh, Poirot, the like masterpiece theater Poirot, where he is, he's got the, the little waxed mustache and he's portly and he's not running around on the top of the damn train car mm. you know it like poirot was meant to he would have never done that yeah he's a much more genteel refined he would have sent book to do it right <laughs> I, um, f- I felt like this suffered a little bit from like post robert downey jr sherlock holmes oh a little they just wanted some bombast i mean things have got to be visual mm-hmm. it's interesting to have kenneth branagh 
as a director and the star of this because there's so much of just him on the screen. Yeah. Which he's not directing at that point. He's just acting. Uh, He didn't feel like Lockhart. (laughs) That's Uh, true. Which he played uh, Gilderoy Lockhart in uh, the adaptation of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Um, Something I found really funny actually watching this is that it's the first time that I've distinguished Kenneth Branagh as a director. Mm. There are certain shots that basically you switch out Chris Hemsworth's face for Kenneth Branagh's face, and it's a shot from the first Thor movie. <laughs> and I just oh, for I some reason he did that. Yeah, right. Uh, or it's a shot from Cinderella. Like there are these moments. They just like it's the camera turning up and zooming in, and mm. you're just like, what? Yeah, he does a lot of um, Dutch angles. Uh, in yes, this. Uh, and it's interesting. I I mean I was. I, I will not lie to you. One of my one of my big reasons to want to go see this movie was I love uh, Daisy Ridley. I think mm-hmm. she's a, a a fascinating screen presence, and she's going to be stuck in Star Wars land for the rest of her life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. And it was I was just excited to see that she had a role that wasn't Star Wars. Right. And they they gave you a lot of Daisy Ridley if that's what you're excited about. I was gonna say whoever her agent is really did a nice job and earned their commission on this one. And I was so excited when I remembered that uh Leslie Odom Jr. Junior. Uh, was in this, and they gave him a nice meaty role. Um. He, one of the most one of the more lined roles of these <laughs> yeah. the, like dozen or so people in this um and it was just cool to see him you know i saw him in hamilton and he was amazing mm-hmm. and just just that he's an excellent actor i'm not surprised um yeah but it is always nice when you see somebody do something awesome in a thing and then you're wondering if was that a one-off mm-hmm. totally will, will they make the transition to the screen which is that is certainly not always guaranteed Yeah, I don't know. I I didn't love this adaptation. Uh, Me neither. I found I, it perfectly fine. I wanted I wanted a big sumptuous movie going experience, and it delivered in that realm of like a very luxurious train car. Right. Um, but I didn't think it delivered in the. It never felt tense. I guess so. This comes somewhat back to your question earlier of what do you look for in a movie adaptation right uh and and i'm just looking to get lost in it and i just couldn't get lost here and i don't think i i think that i'm not i don't feel like i'm in the minority thinking that um it's not the best reviewed movie yeah um well i okay so i'm i want to ask you a sort of a follow-up question and that is I'm thinking about the times when a director has taken the work and and run off sort of in their own direction. Like I think that one of the best examples of that is The Shining, mm. where Stephen King has he all hates but it. disavowed it, and he yet it. it is it's an exceptional film in its own right. And weirdly enough, it's a it's a great adaptation, even though it diverges pretty dramatically from the book. I think one of my favorite book adaptations is The Talented Mr. Ripley. Yes. I know I 
folks that are making so many damn books bingo cards at home, I have to mention Patricia Highsmith wants an episode. Yeah. I did it this time too. <laughs> um, and just, uh, you know, God, everybody in that movie is doing their absolute best. Mm-hmm. Matt Damon is insanely good. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. God, rest in peace. Rest in peace. He's He is insanely good. Jude Law is unreal uh and it's it's becomes its own thing because there's a lot of subtext especially sexual subtext right in in the in the talented mr ripley novels uh other ripley ed uh and that what they took some of that subtext and made it just straight up on the screen right and it, and it really did change the the balance and it made it its own thing do you have a favorite do you have something that worked really well other than uh, The Shining? Hmm. I feel like the ones that often come to mind to me are ones that don't. What the hell was it that I saw somewhat recently where I walked out of it and I was like, holy shit, that was better than the book. Mm. I mean, my canonical uh, better than the book and I, uh, and even the author agrees is Fight Club. Uh, yes. With, you know, I mean... I mean that adaptation is it's fantastic. It's so good. Uh and and I I would I mean in that same realm um American Psycho uh by Brett Easton Ellis uh, the, I I I think the 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 movie version is fantastic. I do think the movie version is fantastic. That one I mean doesn't... it doesn't adapt the book. Like there's some stuff that they didn't even try to do uh but for the better. You know, it be it became its own thing. That always becomes I feel like this is always the challenge and why for me that that second tier of of what I'm looking for uh the the you've made it your own mm. version that almost always is a recalibration mm-hmm. where I'm sitting in the movie theater and I'm a little ways into the movie and I think oh if I'm if I don't want to be disappointed or angry I am going to shift right now and treat this as you are making your own version of this story. I had to do that with the sixth Harry Potter movie, for example. Oh, yeah. When Ginny was like, let me tie your shoelace. Oh, God. I stood up in the theater and said, come on. <laughs> really? Yeah. It was opening uh, night, too. I was kind of oh, a dick. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, in that same... I was kidnapped to see that movie against my will, so... In the... In, in that same realm, um, Prisoner of Azkaban is an incredible... Um, adaptation yes. of a book um, yes. it, it, making it its own movie that i feel like if you've never seen any harry potter movie first of all amazing i don't know how you did that uh, <laughs> but just watch that one if you've never experienced any harry potter media at all mm-hmm. if you just watched harry potter and the prisoner of Azkaban, i feel like you would get a full complete movie experience i would like to know if if, if anybody actually has that um ability if they could just do that for me because one of my favorite um viral essays that i ever read was all i saw was the sixth harry potter movie (laughs) and here's what i think happened in the first five (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing yeah i love that stuff um well i feel like the third harry potter movie is the perfect example because that the success of that movie is due to alfonso Cuaron Mm -hmm. as opposed like the other movies are take them or leave them they are technically great they adapt the books pretty well but that third movie he said i'm gonna make 
my movie. Mm-hmm. And he was it was a, a point in time when franchises you were kind of allowed to get away with that. Right. I think that the mini series and and oh, yeah. and the the like the novel into a series um friend of the show Stephanie Dandler is in the midst of um shooting a sweet bitter television show um for Showtime. Right. And I feel like that makes more sense to me than moving of a a book into a movie where you are going to have to condense things. You're going to have to um not show some stuff and instead you get to expand. Right. Well, you see, I mean, Margaret Atwood has had two home run out of the park adaptations. Right, Alias Grace and Handmaid's Tale. And so I wonder if this is if this is the thing is that we are actually we have timed this just right. We mm. are we are really coming out of movie adaptations. And and we're coming into the the the, the limited series, right. the, the television series realm. I mean, God, everything that Atwood writes is eminently adaptable. I'm hoping for the Oryx and Crake series that's oh, been promised. I think it's been optioned at least yeah, okay. a few times. I mean, I I don't know where the um, I don't know where the Station Eleven adaptation is, but oh, I, yeah. I I remember HBO bought that. I hope that still happens. Um, you know that you know even you didn't like it, but uh, City on Fire by Garth Risk Halberg. I mean, that was basically written to be an HBO miniseries, <laughs> and I will watch the hell out of that HBO miniseries. Totally. Um, it is fun. Do you ever just sit and look at your shelves and think? What could be? Yeah. Well, I feel like that's what uh, movie producers do. <laughs> that's what Scott Rudin does. Uh, uh, definitely. I think he's the one who adapted, uh, bought Sweet Bitter for adaptation. Uh, but, okay, you know, I think this leads into our, instead of recommendations, why don't we recommend to some movie producers what we hope for for next? Okay. I uh, I personally would love to see uh, a mini series of the Claire DeWitt. Oh, I was just thinking about those books. They're so good. Sarah Grand's uh, Claire DeWitt uh, and the City of the Dead, and uh, the, the Bohemian Highway. Bohemian Highway. I'm hoping for a third one. She's, you know, what she's it's, doing now. She's writing for TV. Uh, yeah, of course, of course she is. Um, I just feel like that makes a lot of sense because it's it's a really idiosyncratic uh detective you know i would even go even further than than a limited adaptation and say that that feels like a perfect oh yeah just a series, series. Just, just go just like, go with claire, claire. DeWitt is <laughs> unlike any other detective i think i've ever read which is pretty crazy to be able to do that now yeah. because the, all the detectives exist you know all yeah. of them <laughs> i keep thinking about how Poirot influenced like the Cumberbatch Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. and now the Cumberbatch Sherlock Holmes influenced Branagh's Poirot. Okay. And we're in just this spiral of self-referential asshole detectives. Perhaps. Uh, you haven't thrown down a, an adaptation that you'd like to see. I have two. One that feels realistic and one that feels like I, I want it but also I don't want it. Okay. If that makes sense. 
The one that feels realistic is a uh, friend of the show, Edgar Cantero's Meddling Kids. Oh, yeah. Like, I can't wait. That's going to be a summer blockbuster. It'd and be it's just really gonna be, fun. The right person will do it. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, someone please uh, put that in the hands of Edgar Wright. Oh, yes. <laughs> please, Edgar Wright, if you listen to our podcast, we have a suggestion. Also, hey, give us a shout. <laughs> yeah, come on the show. Uh, the other is China Mieville's bass lag novels specifically Perdido street station okay which is it the world is so ripe and so innovative and inventive and the story is super compelling but i it's one of those things where even as i say it i just know that i will sit down to watch it and immediately i'll have to be like oh well <laughs> okay it's the other thing i have two really difficult ones oh yeah yeah these are my two really difficult choices the my first one Specifically, I want Leica Studios to make it. I want they made a Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh-huh. And they do Coraline too. They did Coraline, and I think uh, Captain the Thirteen and a Half Lives of Captain Blue Bear mm-hmm. uh, by Walter Moyers. I think they would have a lot of fun turning that into I don't know Netflix, turn it into a TV show, turn it into a miniseries, turn it into a movie. Really fun. Yeah, that would be pretty dope. And the other one is even more difficult. Wouldn't be even claymation. You'd have to just film it. Um, but I think it's time. I think the time is ripe for an infinite jest adaptation. <sighs> um, I know that people would probably hate it at all. Like the fact that it would ever happen. Um, but I just think that it could be a great... The show that launched a billion think pieces. Right? girls left a neck like a vortex <laughs> like if people need something to yell at yeah and it could be that i mean that would just that would actually be a really cool cultural experience for yeah. perhaps once once we are able to turn all of our energies towards cultural experiences again mm-hmm. like that feels like the kind of thing that could really really unite the country in being mad at art mm-hmm. instead of being mad at life yeah that's fair enough you know i could get down with that is there anything that's coming down the pike that you know is going to come out that you're kind of excited about um i sweep it is actually the one i'm i'm really excited to see that yeah i'm really excited to see that too um it's just looks amazing. It look it just just following Stephanie Danler's Instagram as she's like gets to she's shooting things on the Williamsburg Bridge at four a.m. Yeah. Um. But I guess for me, I'm I just cannot cannot wait for Goldfinch. Um, oh yeah. Ansel Elgort got cast as Theo. Um. It's being directed by the guy who directed Brooklyn. Yeah. Um. And I just think. It's oh, all of the stuff is going to come out. It's going to be great. I've got mine. Okay, what's yours? The Edward St. Alban, Patrick Melrose novels. Right. There's yeah. going to be, I think, a limited series on Showtime. I think like Hugo Weaving is playing his dad. Whoa. Uh, Blythe Danner is playing his mom. And Bandersnatch Cummerbund is playing Melrose. Mm. Bennett. Now I don't even know his real name. <laughs> yeah, right? That's what, <laughs> what happened. What is it? Benedict Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. That's a real thing. The I think it was the Washington Post. 
Did they had to get issue it really correction. wrong? Yeah, where they wrote Bandersnatch Cummerbund. <laughs> <laughs> That's like not even an autocorrect. I don't. Re- I think it's Stephen Fry who said he's got the most. He's the f- only person who played Sherlock Holmes that has a more ridiculous name than Sherlock Holmes does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, uh, movies, books are better. Just read books. Books are better. I had as we were walking out. I was like, you know, I'm excited to go home and read. Yeah. Honestly, I think Agatha Christie's best on the page. That's true. And you can just chew through those things, man. Yeah, you could. I mean, the, the time it took to watch that movie, you could have probably had a nice time reading it. Last question before we go. Uh. At the end there, there was a little there was a little, a little wink. Do you think they're going to try to do another? Uh, I think they might have wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it did. There were moments that felt like it, they were trying to trying to jumpstart like okay and now kenneth branagh as hercule poirot in death on the nile mm-hmm. they did try to do that yeah it's for the best mm-hmm. it is for the best All you crazy people out there, if you've got some time to kill, uh, please leave us an iTunes review. If you've got money to burn uh, and you're not a Patreon subscriber yet, patreon.com slash smdb. Uh, we've got cool levels and everything. Yeah. And uh, leave us a note on Twitter. Send us an email. Yeah, so many damn books at Gmail. So many damn You know, you, you try to say it three times fast. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And um, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, we've got some fun stuff coming up, so stay tuned. Don't just just wait for two weeks. Just <laughs> just, just sit here. Yeah, just wherever sit you are, just and look off into space. We will be back for you. We're writing you a note right now. Yeah. You don't have to go to work. Hercule Poirot might not return, but we will. <laughs> And what was up with the Stalin jokes? Speaking of flipping to the movie, there were a couple moments where it's like the back and forth. They were like, he had some bad ideas about Stalin that I had to correct him about. That joke came up, I think, at least two times, if not three. I missed every single <laughs> one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>